0: rob and his friends by dr john brown this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by phil Schemph four and thirty years ago bob ainsley and i were coming up infirmary street from the high school our heads together and our arms intertwisted, as only lovers and boys know how or why When we got to the top of the street, and turned north, we espied a crowd at the Tron Church. A dog-fight, shouted Bob, and was off. And so was I, both of us all but praying that it might not be over before we got up. And is not this boy-nature, and human-nature, too? And don't we all wish a house on fire not to be out before we see it? Dogs like fighting, old Isaac says, they delight in it, and for the best of all reasons. And boys are not cruel, because they like to see the fight. They see three of the great cardinal virtues of dog or man courage endurance and skill in intense action. This is very different from a love of making dogs fight and aggravating and making gain by their pluck. A boy, be he ever so fond himself of fighting, if he be a good boy, hates and despises all this, but he would have run off with bob and me fast enough. It is a natural and not a wicked interest that all boys and men have in witnessing intense energy in action does any curious and finely ignorant woman wish to know how bob's eye at a glance announced a dog fight to his brain he did not he could not see the dogs fighting it was a flash of inference a rapid induction the crowd round a couple of dogs fighting is a crowd masculine mainly with an occasional active compassionate woman fluttering wildly round the outside and using her tongue and her hands freely upon the men as so many brutes It is a crowd annular compact and mobile a crowd centripetal having its eyes and its heads all bent downward and inward to one common focus well bob and i are up and find it's not over a small thoroughbred white bull terrier is busy throttling a large shepherd's dog unaccustomed to war but not to be trifled with they are hard at it the scientific little fellow doing his work in great style his pastoral enemy fighting wildly but with the sharpest of teeth and a great courage science and breeding however soon had their own the game chicken as the premature bob called him working his way up took his final grip on poor yarrow's throat and he lay gasping and done for his master a brown handsome big young shepherd from tweedsmuir would have liked to have knocked down any man who would drink up easel and eat a crocodile for that part if he had a chance it was no use kicking the little dog that would only make him hold the closer many were the means shouted out in mouthfuls of the best possible ways of ending it water but there was none near and many cried for it who might have got it from the well at black wind bite the tail and a large vague benevolent middle-aged man more desirous than wise with some struggle got the bushy end of yarrow's tail into his ample mouth and bit it with all his might this was more than enough for the much enduring much perspiring shepherd who with a gleam of joy over his broad visage delivered a terrific facer upon our large vague benevolent middle-aged friend who went down like a shot still the chicken holds death not far off snuff a pinch of snuff observed a calm highly dressed young buck with an eyeglass in his eye snuff indeed growled the angry crowd affronted and glaring snuff a pinch of snuff again observes the buck with more urgency whereupon were produced several open boxes and from a mull which may have been at he took a pinch knelt down and presented it to the nose of the chicken the laws of physiology and of snuff take their course the chicken sneezes and yarrow is free the young pastoral giant stalks off with yarrow in his arms comforting him but the bull terrier's blood is up and his soul unsatisfied he grips the first dog he meets and discovering she is not a dog in Homeric phrase he makes a brief sort of amende and is off. The boys, with Bob and me at their head, are after him. Down Nidry Street he goes bent on mischief, up the cowgate like an arrow, Bob and I and our small men panting behind. There, under the single arch of the south bridge, is a huge mastiff sauntering down the middle of the causeway as if with his hands in his pockets. "'He is old, brindled, as big as a little highland bull, "'and has the Shakespearean dewlaps shaking as he goes. "'The chicken makes straight at him and fastens on his throat. "'To our astonishment, the great creature does nothing but stand still, "'hold himself up and roar! "'Yes, roar! "'A long, serious, remonstrative roar! "'How is this?' "'Bob and I are up to them. "'He is muzzled!' "'The Baileys had proclaimed a general muzzling.' and his master, studying strength and economy mainly, had encompassed his huge jaws in a homemade apparatus constructed out of the leather of some ancient breaching. His mouth was open as far as it could, his lips curled up in rage, a sort of terrible grin, his teeth gleaming, ready from out the darkness. The strap across his mouth tense as a bowstring, his whole frame stiff with indignation and surprise, his roar asking us all round, Did you ever see the like of this? HE LOOKED A STATUE OF ANGER AND ASTONISHMENT DONE IN ABERNEEN GRANITE. WE SOON HAD A CROWD. THE CHICKEN HELD ON. A KNIFE, CRIED BOB, AND A COBBLER GAVE HIM HIS KNIFE. YOU KNOW THE KIND OF KNIFE, WORN OBLIQUELY TO A POINT AND ALWAYS KEEN. I PUT ITS EDGE TO THE TENSE LEATHER. IT RAN BEFORE IT, AND THEN, ONE SUDDEN JERK OF THAT ENORMOUS HEAD, A SORT OF DIRTY MIST ABOUT HIS MOUTH, NO NOISE, AND THE BRIGHT, FIERCE LITTLE FELLOW IS DROPPED, LIMP AND DEAD. A solemn pause. This was more than any of us had bargained for. I turned the little fellow over and saw he was quite dead. The mastiff had taken him by the small of the back like a rat and broken it. He looked down at his victim, appeased, ashamed, and amazed, sniffed him all over, stared at him and taking sudden thought, turned round and trotted off. Bob took the dead dog up and said, John, we'll bury him after tea. Yes, said I. And was off after the mastiff. He made up the cowgate at a rapid swing. He had forgotten some engagement. He turned up the candlemaker row and stopped at the Harrow Inn. There was a carrier's cart ready to start, and a keen, thin, impatient, black-eyed little man, his hand at the grey horse's head, looking about angrily for something. "Rabby thief," said he, aiming a kick at my great friend, who drew cringing up and avoiding the heavy shoe with more agility than dignity and watching his master's eye slunk dismayed under the cart his ears down and as much as he had of a tail down too what a man this must be thought i to whom my tremendous hero turns tail the carrier saw the muzzle hanging cut and useless from his neck and i eagerly told him the story which bob and i always thought and still think homer or king david or sir walter alone were worthy to rehearse the severe little man was mitigated, and condescended to say, "Rab, my man, poor Robbie,' whereupon the stump of tail rose up, the ears were cocked, the eyes filled and were comforted, and the two friends were reconciled. And a stroke of the whip were given to Jess, and off went the three. Bob and I buried the game chicken that night. We had not much of a tea. In the back green of his house, in Millville Street, number 17, with considerable gravity and silence, and being at the time in the iliad and like all boys trojans we of course called him hector six years have passed a long time for a boy and a dog bob ainsley is off to the wars i am a medical student and clerk at minto house hospital rob i saw almost every week on the wednesday and we had much pleasant intimacy i found the way to his heart by frequent scratching of his huge head and an occasional bone when i did not notice him he would plant himself straight before me and stand wagging that butt of a tail and looking up with his head a little to one side his master i saw occasionally he used to call me maester john but was as laconic as any spartan one fine afternoon i was leaving the hospital when i saw the large gate open and in walked rob with that great and easy saunter of his he looked as if he was taking possession of the place like the duke of wellington entering a subdued city satiated with victory and peace after him came Jess, now white from age, with her cart, and in it a woman carefully wrapped up, the carrier leading the horse anxiously, and looking back. When he saw me, James, for his name was James Noble, made a curt and grotesque bow, and said, Maester John, this is the mistress, she's got a trouble in her breast, some kind of an income we're thinking. By this time I saw the woman's face, she was sitting on a sack filled with straw, with her husband's plaid round her, and his big coat, with its large white metal buttons over her feet. I never saw a more unforgettable face, pale, serious, lonely, delicate, sweet, without being at all what we call fine. She looked sixty, and had on a much, white as snow, with its black ribbon, her silvery smooth hair setting off her dark gray eyes, eyes such as one sees only twice or thrice in a lifetime, full of suffering full also of the overcoming of it her eyebrows black and delicate and her mouth firm patient and contented which few mouths ever are as i have said i never saw a more beautiful countenance or one more subdued to settled quiet Ailie said james this is maister john the young doctor rob's friend Ye ken we often speak about you doctor she smiled and made a movement but said nothing and prepared to come down putting her plaid aside and rising had solomon in all his glory been handing down the queen of sheba at his palace gate he could not have done it more daintily more tenderly more like a gentleman than james the howland carrier when he lifted down ailie his wife the contrast to this small swarthy weather-beaten keen worldly face to hers pale subdued and beautiful was something wonderful rob looked on, concerned and puzzled but ready for anything that might turn up, were it to strangle the nurse, the porter, or even me. Bailey and he seemed great friends. As I was saying, she's got some kind of trouble in her breeze, doctor. Will you take a look at it? We walked into the consulting room, all four, Rob, Grim and Comic, willing to be happy and confidential if case should be shown, willing also to be the reverse on the same terms. Bailey sat down undid her open gown and her lawn handkerchief round her neck and without a word showed me her right breast i looked at it and examined it carefully she and james watching me and rob eyeing all three what could i say there it was that had once been so soft so shapely so white so gracious and bountiful so full of all blessed condition hard as a stone a centre of horrid pain making that pale face with its gray lucid reasonable eyes and its sweet resolved mouth expressed the full measure of suffering overcome why was that gentle modest sweet woman clean and lovable condemned by god to bear such a burden i got her away to bed may rob and me bide said james you may and rob if he will behave himself i's warned he's do that doctor and in slunk the faithful beast there are no such dogs now. He belonged to a lost tribe. As I have said, he was brindled and gray like Rubislaw granite, his hair short, hard, and close like a lion's, his body thick-set like a little bull, a sort of compressed Hercules of a dog. He must have been ninety pounds weight at least, and he had a large, blunt head, his muzzle black as night, his mouth blacker than any night, a tooth or two being all he had, gleaming out of his jaws of darkness. His head was scarred with the records of old wounds, a sort of series of fields of battles all over it. One eye out, one ear cropped as close as was Archbishop Leighton's father's. The remaining eye had the power of two, and above it, and in constant communication with it, was a tattered rag of an ear, which was forever unfurling itself like an old flag, and then that butt of a tail, about one inch long, if it could be in any sense be said to be long, being as broad as long, the mobility, the instantaneousness of that bud were very funny and surprising. Its expressive twinklings and winkings, the intercommunications between the eye, the ear, and it were of the oddest and swiftest. Rob had the dignity and simplicity of great size, and having fought his way all along the road to absolute supremacy, he was as mighty in his own line as Julius Caesar or the Duke of Wellington and had the gravity of all great fighters. You must have often observed the likeness of certain men to certain animals, and of certain dogs to men. Now, I never looked at Rob without thinking of the great Baptist preacher, Andrew Fuller, the same large, heavy, menacing, combative, somber, honest countenance, the same deep, inevitable eye, the same look, as if of thunder asleep, but ready, neither a dog nor a man to be trifled with. Next day my master, the surgeon, examined Ailey. There could be no doubt it must kill her, and soon. If it could be removed, it might never return. It would give her speedy relief. She should have it done. She curtsied, looked at James, and said, When? Tomorrow, said the kind surgeon, a man of few words. She and James and Rob and I retired. I noticed that he and she spoke little, but seemed to anticipate everything in each other the following day at noon the students came in hurrying up the great stair at the first landing place on a small well-known blackboard was a bit of paper fastened by wafers and many remains of old wafers beside it on the paper were the words an operation to-day j b clerk up ran the youths eager to secure good places in they crowded full of interest and talk what's the case which side is it don't think them heartless they are neither better nor worse than you or i they get over their professional horrors and enter their proper work and in them pity as an emotion ending in itself or at best in tears and a long-drawn breath lessens while pity as a motive is quickened and gains power and purpose it is well for poor human nature that it is so the operating theatre is crowded much talk and fun and all the cordiality and stir of youth the surgeon with his staff of assistants is there in comes ailie one look at her quiets and abates the eager students that beautiful old woman is too much for them they sit down and are dumb and gaze at her these rough boys feel the power of her presence she walks in quietly but without haste dressed in her much, her neckerchief her white dimity short gown her black bombazine petticoat showing her white worsted stockings and her carpet shoes behind her was james with rob james sat down in the distance and took that huge noble head between his knees rob looked perplexed and dangerous forever cocking his ear and dropping it fast ailie stepped up on a seat and laid herself on the table as her friend the surgeon told her arranged herself gave a rapid look at james shut her eyes rested herself on me and took my hand the operation was at once begun it was necessarily slow and chloroform, one of God's best gifts to his suffering children, was then unknown. The surgeon did his work. The pale face showed its pain, but was still and silent. Rob's soul was working within him. He saw something strange was going on. Blood flowing from his mistress, and she suffering. His ragged ear was up and importunate. He growled and gave now and then a sharp, impatient yelp. He would have liked to have done something to that man, but James had him firm. And gave him a glower from time to time with an intimation of a possible kick all the better for james it kept his eye and his mind off ailey it's over she is dressed steps gently and decently down from the table looks for james and then turning to the surgeon and the students she curtsies and in a low clear voice begs their pardon if she has behaved ill the students all of us wept like children the surgeon wrapped her up carefully and resting on james and me ailie went to her room and rob followed we put her to bed james took off his heavy shoes crammed with tackets heel capped and toe capped and put them carefully under the table saying naester john i'm for nanny your strange nurse bodies for ailie i'll be her nurse and i'll gang a boot of my stocking soles as canny as a pussy and so he did and handy and clever and swift and tender as any woman was that horny hand Snell, peremptory little man, everything she got he gave her. He seldom slept, and often I saw his small, shrewd eyes out of the darkness fixed on her as before, they spoke little. Rob behaved well, never moving, showing us how meek and gentle he could be, and occasionally in his sleep, letting us know that he was demolishing some adversary. He took a walk with me every day, generally to the candlemaker row but he was sombre and mild, declined doing battle, though some fit cases offered, and indeed submitted to sundry indignities, and was always very ready to turn, and came faster back, and trotted up the stair with much lightness, and went straight to that door. Jess the mare had been sent with her weather-beaten cart to Howgate, and had doubtless her own dim, placid meditations and confusions on the absence of her master and Rob, and her unnatural freedom from the road and her cart. For some days Ailie did well the wound healed by the first intention for as james said or elie's skin score clean to beo the students came in quiet and anxious surrounded her bed she said she'd like to see their young honest faces the surgeon dressed her and spoke to her in his own short kind way pitying her through his eyes rob and james outside the circle rob being now reconciled and even cordial and having made up his mind that as yet nobody required worrying but as you may suppose semper paratus so far well but four days after the operation my patient had a sudden and long shivering a gruesome as she called it i saw her soon after her eyes were too bright her cheek coloured she was restless and ashamed of being so the balance was lost mischief had begun I'm looking at the wound. A blush of red told the secret. Her pulse was rapid, her breath anxious and quick. She wasn't herself, as she said, and was vexed at her restlessness. We tried what we could. James did everything and was everywhere, never in the way, never out of it. Rob subsided under the table into a dark place, and was motionless, all but his eye, which followed everyone. Ailey got worse, began to wander in her mind, gently was more demonstrative in her ways to James. Rapid in her questions, and sharp at times, he was vexed and said, She was never that way afore. No, never. For a time she knew her head was wrong, and was always asking our pardon, the dear, gentle old woman. Then delirium set in strong, without pause. Her brain gave way, and then came that terrible spectacle. The intellectual power through words and things went sounding on a dim and perilous way she sang bits of old songs and psalms stopping suddenly mingling the psalms of david with the diviner words of his son and lord with homely odds and ends of ballads nothing more touching or in sense more strangely beautiful did i ever witness her tremulous rapid affectionate eager scotch voice the swift aimless bewildered mind the baffled utterance the bright and perilous eye some wild words some household cares something for james the names of the dead rab called rapidly and in a fremit voice and he starting up surprised and slinking off as if he were to blame somehow or had been dreaming he heard many eager questions and beseechings which james and i could make nothing of and on which she seemed to set her all and then sink back ununderstood it was very sad but better than many things that are not called sad james hovered about put out and miserable but active and exact as ever read to her when there was a lull short bits of the psalms prose and meter chanting the latter in his own rude and serious way showing great knowledge of the fit of words bearing up like a man and doting over her as his ain ali ali my woman my ain bonny wee dottie. the end was drawing on the golden bowl was breaking the silver cord was fast being loosed that animula blandula vagula hospes was about to flee the body and the soul companions for sixty years were being sundered and taking leave she was walking alone through the valley of the shadow into which one day we must all enter and yet she was not alone for we know whose rod and staff were comforting her One night she had fallen quiet, and as we hoped, asleep, her eyes were shut. We put down the gas and sat watching her. Suddenly she sat up in bed, and taking a bedgown, which was lying on it, rolled up. She held it eagerly to her breast, to the right side. We could see her eyes bright, with a surprising tenderness and joy, bending over this bundle of clothes. She held it as a woman holds her suckling child, opening out her nightgown impatiently and holding it close, brooding over it and murmuring foolish little words, as over one whom his mother comforteth, and who sucks and is satisfied. It was pitiful and strange to see her wasted, dying look, keen and yet vague, her immense love. "'Preserve me,' groaned James, giving way, and then she rocked back and forth, as if to make it sleep, hushing it and wasting on it her infinite fondness. Where's me, doctor? I declare she's thinking it's that bairn.' "'What bairn?' the only bairn we ever had, her wee Maisie, She's in the kingdom forty years and mare It was plain true, the pain in the breast, telling its urgent story to a bewildered ruined brain, was misread and mistaken. It suggested to her the uneasiness of a breast full of milk, and then the child, and so again, once more, they were together, and she had her ain wee Maisie on her bosom. This was the close. She sank rapidly. The delirium left her, but as she whispered, she was clean silly. It was the lightning before the final darkness. After having for some time lain still, her eyes shut, she said, James? He came close to her. And lifting up her calm, clear, beautiful eyes, she gave him a long look, turned to me kindly, but shortly, looked for Rob, but could not see him, then turned to her husband again, as if she would never leave off looking shut her eyes, and composed herself. She lay for some time breathing quick, and passed away so gently that when we thought she was gone, James, in his old-fashioned way, held the mirror to her face. After a long pause, one small spot of dimness was breathed out. It vanished away and never returned, leaving the blank, clear darkness without a stain. What is your life? It is even as vapor which appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away rob all this time had been full awake and motionless he came forward beside us haley's hand which james had held was hanging down it was soaked with his tears rob licked it all over carefully looked at her and returned to his place under the table james and i sat i don't know how long but for some time saying nothing He started up abruptly, and with some noise went to the table, and putting his right fore and middle fingers, each into a shoe, pulled them out and put them on, breaking one of the leather latchets, and muttering in anger, "'I never did the like of that afore.' I believe he never did, nor after, either. "'Rob,' he said roughly, and pointing with his thumb to the bottom of the bed. Rob leaped up and settled himself, his head and eye to the dead face. "'Maester John, you'll be waiting for me,' said the carrier and disappeared in the darkness thundering downstairs in his heavy shoes i ran to the front window there he was already round the house and out at the gate fleeing like a shadow i was afraid about him and yet not afraid so i sat down beside rob and being weary fell asleep i awoke from a sudden noise outside it was november and there had been a heavy fall of snow rob was in statu quo he heard the noise too and plainly knew it but never moved i looked out and there at the gate in the dim morning for the sun was not up was jess in the cart a cloud of steam rising from the old mare. I did not see james, he was already at the door and came up the stairs and met me. It was less than three hours since he left and he must have posted out-who knows how-to Howgate full nine miles off yoked jess and driven her astonished into town. He had an armful of blankets and was streaming with perspiration he nodded to me and spread out on the floor two pairs of clean old blankets having at their corners a g seventeen ninety four in large letters in red worsted these were the initials of alison graham and james may have looked in at her from without himself unseen but not unthought of when he was wot wot and weary and having walked many a mile over the hills may have seen her sitting while all the lave were sleeping and by the firelight, working her name on the blankets for her ain James bed. He motioned Rob down, and taking his wife in his arms, laid her in the blankets, and happed her carefully and firmly up. Leaving the face uncovered, and then lifting her, he nodded again sharply to me, and with a resolved, but utterly miserable face, strode through the passage and downstairs, followed by Rob. I followed with a light, but he didn't need it. I went out holding stupidly the candle in my hand in the calm frosty air we were soon at the gate i could have helped him but i saw he was not to be meddled with and he was strong and did not need it he laid her down as tenderly as safely as he had lifted her out ten days before as tenderly as when he had her first in his arms when she was only a g sorted her leaving that beautiful sealed face open to the heavens and then taking Jess by the head he moved away he did not notice me, neither did Rob, who presided behind the cart. I stood till they passed through the long shadow of the college, and turned up Nicholson Street. I heard the solitary cart sound through the streets, and die away, and come again, and I returned, thinking of that company going up Liberton Bray, then along Roslyn Muir, the morning light touching the Pentlands, and making them like onlooking ghosts, then down the hill through Ockendenny Woods, past the haunted Woods Housley, and as daybreak came sweeping up the bleak lamamures and fell on his own door the company would stop and james would take the key and lift ailie up again laying her on her own bed and having put jess up would return with rob and shut the door james buried his wife with his neighbors mourning rob watched the proceedings from a distance it was snow and that black ragged hole would look strange in the midst of the swelling spotless cushion of white James looked after everything, then rather suddenly he fell ill and took to bed, was insensible when the doctor came, and soon died. A sort of low fever was prevailing in the village, and his want of sleep, his exhaustion and his misery made him apt to take it. The grave was not difficult to reopen. A fresh fall of snow had made all things white and smooth. Rob once more looked on and slunk home to the stable. And what of Rob? I asked for him next week at the new carrier, who got the goodwill of James Business and was now master of Jess and her cart. How's Rob? He put me off and said rather rudely, What's your business with the dog? I was not to be so put off. Where's Rob? He, getting confused and red and intermeddling with his hair, said, Deed, sir, Rob's deed. Dead? What did I have? "'Well, sir,' he said, getting redder, "'he didn't exactly dee, and he was killed. "'I had to bring him with a rack-pin. "'There was nay doing with him. "'He lay in the trevis with the mere, "'and wouldna come out. "'I tempt him with crail and meat, "'but he would take nathing "'and keep me from feeding the beast. "'And was I gurn and gruppin' me by the legs? "'I was laith to make away with the old dog. "'His like wasn't atween this and thorn hill, but deed sir i could do anything else i believed him fit in for rob quick and complete his teeth and his friends gone why should he keep the peace and be civil he was buried in the brave face near the burn the children of the village his companions who used to make very free with him and sit on his ample stomach as he lay half asleep at the door in the sun watching the solemnity End of Rob and His Friends by Dr. John Brown